0: Welcome back to Weather Hype. We know that you missed us in February, but we're back in March for National Weather Podcast Month. And for
1: 2020's National Weather Podcast Month, we're joined by four other podcasts, B Squared, Carolina
0: Weather Group, Stormfront Freaks, and Weather Brains. On this week's episode, we're joined by Caroline McDonald, a graduate student from Mississippi State University, and she's going to talk to us about her thesis project, on the challenges of using color to communicate weather information. So stick around, because a new episode of Weather Hype is coming your way.
2: Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies clear soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I was born out
0: of stone. When
2: I get gone, I get gone hey. And I don't need anyone to know better
0: Welcome back to Weather Hype. Um, On this episode, we are excited to bring you the amazing, the fantastic Caroline McDonald, a graduate student at Mississippi State University. Welcome, Caroline. Hey, Caroline. Thank you guys
2: for having me. I'm very excited about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. So, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say I had the great opportunity. Well, I think we've. All interacted on Twitter a lot. Um, yes, but I had the great opportunity to meet Caroline one-on-one at AMS um, because she was a part of my session on message consistency, um, which was, I think, really fantastic. People seemed to enjoy it, um, so it was really great to put a, a face, a name to a face. And while I was there, I got to check out her poster and. It reminded me of a topic that we actually discussed on Weather Hype almost four years ago, um, which is really great that maybe we can have this follow up conversation about color and what it means to have color in the weather enterprise and whether we should be consistent in the way that we communicate and convey color. So I guess the first question that uh, would be good for our listeners to hear is to kind of introduce them to the topic. And I know it's your master's thesis and congratulations um, on passing. Um, that's you. really <laughs> exciting. That's yes. um, a <laughs> great <load> accomplishment. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, so maybe just start by introducing the topic, maybe what drew you to it, what got you excited about it. Um, just as a little intro for our
2: listeners. Yeah, definitely. So um, this kind of just came from me kind of talking to my advice. I knew I wanted to do some type of social science research uh, with my master's thesis, just with my background in meteorology and also in psychology. And in talking to my advisor, we were trying to go over different types of uh, message consistency and consistency things and what hasn't really been looked into um, that we wanted to further look into and something I knew being on social media, it really bugged me. Um, I started noticing it a few years ago. Uh, I just rely on color a lot personally and I would be scrolling through Twitter and, see a certain color and be like oh it's a tornado warning or oh it's this and then i would look at it and be like wait no that's not what it is and i kind of wondered you know is this just a problem i have because i have a background in meteorology or is this actually um, a communication issue that the public is seeing so from that we decided that we wanted to try to take tackle this uh, topic head-on by just having an overarching um, look at colors, uh, specifically looking at watches and warnings, just because a lot of the literature up to this point has either been solely in the psychology realm, or it only a lot of times only focuses on things like tornado warnings or storm surge products, not a whole comprehensive looking at the entire weather watch and warning uh, maps and Wawa maps. It There really isn't a lot of background on why we're using certain colors in certain ways. So I really wanted to see if what we're doing now is a good practice. Is it bad practice? If we should change things, what should we change it to? That sort of thing.
0: Uh, Awesome. Um, So thinking about that, um, I know a lot of people, especially uh, operational forecasters, individuals that work for the National Weather Service are always asking about color. Mm -hmm. um so i think uh if you could maybe provide some insight thinking through um the ways that we use color how we communicate color the way what thinking about it being consistent or not so i think maybe just uh kind of like an intro of color and like what research has been done on color and why we use the colors that we do is there ways that we could improve that um i think just an intro of that of that sort might be helpful too.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Um so something that was really interesting to me, um, most a lot of my literature review I relied heavily on psychology papers, mm-hmm. um just because a lot of psychology research kind of de- deals with visual cues and how people respond to certain types of hazards. Um, and something that was interesting was kind of throughout that literature, they talked a lot about rainbow color scales. So, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, purple, and how people don't, You a lot of times people want to put a numerical value to a color. So, you know, one being the highest and five being the lowest, you know, where is a one on that scale? But the problem is, is people have a very difficult time Um, ranking those in the exact same order. So for example, reds, and a lot of times reds, orange, and yellow usually follow that sequence. But where does a color like purple go? Um, Some people think purple is at the end of the spectrum, whereas other people think it's the worst. And so there has been a little bit of inconsistency, I would say, in literature that way. Um, Something else that is just that, um, I know the National Weather Service is trying to begin combating this uh with their hazard simplification process and trying to narrow down all the different products they're using. Um but at what point using colors um if we're trying to use color to convey a message, then if we're just using a bunch of different colors, then we're not really using those colors to convey a threat per se. Um, if so kind of trying to figure out, you know, are we going to use color as a differentiating factor or is that supposed to be um, eliciting a response from people? You know, if people are seeing a graphic, are we using color to reflect what type of product it is or the type of response we want them to have from that color? Um, And that kind of just goes back to um, there is literature where, you know, reds and orange and yellows, a lot of times like red means danger or yellow means caution, whereas green a lot of times is, oh, you're good. And so there is kind of some miscommunication when you take that into the meteorological realm in that um, flash flood warnings or flooding products a lot of times now are being used by green colors. And, you know, to a normal person, if you took off any verbiage of warning or anything and just showed them green, I mean, people probably might think that's okay. And so once we add that wording, how much are people's intake from that graphic being taken by the color versus the words, um, that sort of thing.
1: Hey, Caroline, in uh, you're looking at the different psychology work to inform kind of the colors and ideas. What other examples outside of meteorology do people use colors to convey a sense of safety or danger?
2: So uh, a lot of the research I found, it had to do with warning labels. So like on actual products, um, like it like, caution, don't touch this, or warning, don't do this. Um, A lot of the stuff I found was that. So it was still, I would say, hazard-based research, but the um, implication of it, I would say, is different in that um, those products were only using one color to reflect reflect one word, Um, whereas when you are trying to transfer that into the field of meteorology, you know, we have tons of different products, different watches, different warnings, so we right now use a ton of different colors to represent each of those Um, and so that's where kind of taking that research from psychology to meteorology is difficult because at what point um, should we be using the same colors for same products or do we need to be keeping different colors like we are Um, that sort of thing and then that kind of goes into the whole factor of you know one entity might use one color but then another entity might use a different color so at what It kind of goes back to what we talked about at AMS when we talked about message consistency and inconsistency. Um, At what point, I do think there is a point between how color consistency, how consistent we need to be, but then also a point of there is some leeway depending on which way we go about it, if that makes sense.
0: No, I think it definitely does. And uh, just to add to that, in some of the research that I've done too, I've seen where some people have done research on, like, the Homeland Securities uh, mm-hmm. scale. Um, I don't know what it's called, but, uh, you know, where they're, like, we're, uh, yeah, I don't know, what, whatever levels we we move through in yes. terms of, like, threat and... The they could see depression. Homeland Security yes. Advisory System when they, like, yes. at the airport, Correct. right? So, like, red is yeah. severe,
1: yellow is elevated, yeah. guarded It's blue, and high is orange, yeah. which yeah. very interesting word
0: choice, but anyway. <laughs> guarded, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I've, I've also seen some work done um, from that angle as well. But I think Caroline brings up a really good point in that um, not only do we have to be consist- more uh, to work on our consistency uh, in color representation, but I think you also made a really good point of making sure that we're consistent in the, the, the thing that we're using the color to represent. So beyond it being kind of these different risk levels, we also see color being used to convey different hazard types. Um, So again, like when someone looks at a graphic, um, if we're using color to like delineate two totally different things, then that in itself can be a form of confusion in itself. Um, So I think that's a really great point. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, But going back to that last point you made, which is one of my favorites about message (sighs) consistency, um, as most people know by now, um, I dream about it. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, I think it's, uh, I'm really interested in hearing more about your project and how you measured whether individuals were interested in, or I guess, if they were desiring more consistency in the colors, So could you tell us a little bit more about your project and what you ended up doing in order you, to figure that out?
2: Yeah. So um, the way we went about it, we actually broke up kind of our hypotheses into two um, separate public surveys just because we really wanted to get a comprehensive um foundation and also didn't want to completely overwhelm people to the point that we got no responses. So um, the first survey really focused in and honed in on that um, color consistency idea, whereas our second survey, that's kind of where we introduced more of the um, hazardous weather products, so our watches and warnings more into that survey. But in the first survey, um, we used 12 different um, images. Uh, we used six colors, uh, kind of on that rainbow scale, even though literature says people don't follow rainbow scale. Wanted to further show that, but then also see um, just in a different t- setting um, how people would rank on a rainbow scale. Um, we, so we used red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and purple. But then we also used um, filled-in polygons as well as outline polygons. And people were given identical prompts and basically just asked it, just said, Hey, you're no, you're in, you're at location X. Um, what is your perceived threat or perceived risk based on all this information? Um, the fun thing doing this research is on my end. I knew that every single prompt and the X all in the same exact location. The only things that changed were whether or not it was a field or outline polygon. And then the color, um, the thing Uh, What we found from that, um, which I was not expecting, was that our filled polygons actually had a higher risk perception among everyone compared to the outline. Um, I was not personally expecting that just because right now, um, most of what I see being done um, either on TV or social media, a lot of times warnings are being represented with outline polygons, whereas watches are filled in polygons. Um, which that might be potentially counterintuitive if people perceive more risk with a filled polygon compared to an outline. Um, Additionally, there was a difference in the colors. So red was the highest um, and green had the lowest risk perception. Um, Yellow and purple actually had similar data or they had similar means, but their data's were kind of different. So yellow um, still kind of followed that red, orange, yellow pattern, but purple, what we ran into is that we actually had a kind of equilibrium in the data that we saw in that as many people voted, yes, this is the worst as, as many people voted, yes, this is the, not the worst at all. And so, um, I do kind of think that way it introduces that purple is kind of one of those, some people do think it's the top, but there are, a significant portion of people that think it's the bottom. So, you know, maybe we just don't use purple altogether if people, if we're having so many different opinions here, Um, or that introduces the idea of uh, further education so that if we want to use purple, knowing we're giving people the resource to know where purple should fall in terms of um, an illicit response. But the thing was, is whenever we tied in that second survey data, um, it was interesting in the second survey, we did not see as much um, identification with the actual hazardous weather product type as was expected in that, um, for example, tornado watches and severe thunderstorm watches actually had similar um, risk perception among participants. Um, and there really was no... Um, quantifiable evidence that people, when they look at the actual product name, so either, you know, watch versus warning or the actual hazardous weather product type, so like a tornado warning versus a flash flood warning, um, people were able to kind of identify things like tornado warning was the highest risk response, where flash flood was the lowest. But then severe thunderstorm warnings and winter weather warnings um, had similar results. So there was kind of some inconsistent results there that I really think um, in the future kind of need to look into a little bit more. I know um, with the hazard simplification process um, in color, they've talked some about, you know, should we be representing watches and warnings all with the same color and not using different colors by product type? And, My answer to that is kind of a yes and no. Um, I think if we go about that, we definitely need to have some type of formal education because it's not the way we've been doing things. But there also are differences in that tornado warning was significantly higher than all of the other warning products. But at the same time, um, it was higher, but then some of the products were similar. So color, it kind of comes into this... um, This realm, it kind of goes back to that whole consistency, inconsistency thing of it does seem like people in terms of that red, orange and yellow kind of follow that sequence. And then also the field versus outline just kind of notes not only does the color, um, but how much of the color we're using. Um, It would be interesting if you, um, you know, if we change the width of the line or something like that. Uh, We didn't in this study, but it would be interesting to see if that um, elicits a different type of risk response since we did see the differences in the risk in the outline. Um, but also in the future, just looking into that watch and warning and seeing how people ingest that information.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, talking about the outline versus the filled polygon, Um it seems like in more recent years I've seen the Polygon at first, you know, just being an outline when you're talking about a tornado Mm -hmm. watch or warning or a severe thunderstorm warning. But then maybe in the last couple of years I've started seeing them being filled in, the Polygon. So Mm -hmm. if you go to like the NWS Tornado Twitter account, all Mm -hmm. the polygons and all the graphics have the tornado warnings or whatever warning product filled in. And then I've noticed on Mm -hmm. TV too, um, it seems like they've been filling in with the new graphics and stuff like that. So I don't know if they were informed in, in their own like market research or mm-hmm. what helped guide them to do that. But it seems like there was more of a shift instead of just having the outline to actually have the filled in polygon, which I think is what you said. It elicited more of a um, threat to the survey participants.
2: Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, that's definitely a shift that I've seen too. And obviously it looks like it is a good shift since uh, people definitely see it, said they perceive more risk with that.
0: If you had to hypothesize why that result, like you found that result, um, what, what, what is like running through your mind? Why individuals were more, uh, I guess in, they, they, they perceived a higher risk for the more color, I guess that was involved.
2: Um, yeah, I, that's something I've had a difficult time trying to wrap my head around. Cause I've been trying to think, you know, um, what would get that response? I think one thing, um, It could have something to do with um, a visual cue and that if people um, some people might have thought the X might have been in a different location Um, when you look at the fill versus the outline and just having that entire color like surrounding you completely um, could response, um, or elicit a response just that there is more danger in that it's all around you. Whereas people might've thought, oh, since it's just a box, you know, maybe I don't have as much threat as somebody else that's closer to the outline or something like that. Um, that was something I thought about. Um, but it's definitely something that, um, I'll probably, look into further um, in the future just because um, if people are getting more response with those filled you know how um, when we transfer that to the weather community you know is that something that we translate to a warning or can we do we still use filled in for watches or advisories or um, you know how do we implement that into reality
0: no i think that's all great when i saw this i was also not shocked but like I i thought it was a really interesting finding because I've just been in my own research, been playing around with, um, the idea of color saturation. So Mm -hmm. I've found that in a lot of the, uh, interviews that I've done with members of the public and looking at the convective outlook graphic, Mm -hmm. that when there are graphics that have more saturated colors or like more bright colors compared to some of the more muted colors that like Mm -hmm. the SPC uses that they are, uh, they perceive a higher risk or a higher severity. Um, so i I was thinking that that could potentially be a thing too but i I also considered your location thing as well because to me when I look at the just the boundary or the outline it it's almost like a glass half empty situation yeah. but then when it's full it's like the glass half full so I, I I almost think that there may be some sort of bias or like human bias that that looks at more of like the empty space and takes mm-hmm. um associates that with a lesser risk yeah i definitely agree with that it's interesting castle you're talking about the
1: saturated you know the more saturated the bolder Mm -hmm. the color the more it elicits you know um, a response and i wonder from a like a graphic design standpoint because if it's too saturated would that be you know would the colors clash too much would they be harder to read harder to identify harder to see um versus maybe more muted colors and i wonder if that's a thing too, because again, I'm looking at that NWS tornado uh, Twitter account, and the red for the tornadoes is much more uh, muted. It's not as bold yeah, and more as tomato. red. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like a little bit more, uh, uh, maybe like the inside of a tomato. I don't know if that makes any sense versus the outside. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wonder, you know, and and that's something we've talked about having a somebody with a graphic design illustration artist background, kind of right. look at some of the weather products that we have, and and maybe be able to provide more um you know expertise and perspective from that realm because not only are we looking at it from a psychology standpoint or a meteorology or communication standpoint um there's also a visual artistic standpoint that we might should consider as well when we think about what might be the best for uh you know future products and things going forward
0: No I agree and uh something else that came out of those interviews was that it can go both ways right so Um, I noticed that when uh, some people commented of like, oh, that one is a lot brighter, so it's more severe, whereas other people took it as uh, that source hyping the weather. Um, They thought it was because it was so bright, it was so intense. They were like, oh, my gosh, it it couldn't possibly be this bad, you know. Um, So I think we I think it would be really beneficial for the community to elicit uh, graphic designers, people with those kind of backgrounds in order to really help us understand, like, what are the consequences of saturation? You know, what are the consequences of different hue types? Um, so like one, uh, for example, like one of our colleagues, Kent Kerr, um, who we've done some webinars with, um, he is always really interesting to chat with about this topic because he has that background and he brings things that like we've never even heard of to the table. Um, so it's I think it's it's super fascinating and something that we should do more of.
2: Yeah, and something else I know um, some of the literature I came across uh, since we're on the topic of hues and just different things is yeah. what about monochromatic scales? I mean, you Ooh, know, if representing one hazard one way, um, but then going from that lighter, um, I guess, just lighter red to a darker red, you know, at mm-hmm. what point, What's which way do people go? You know, is that lighter, I would say, like more brightness, like does that elicit more of a response or just that dark? really thick like color, does that elicit more of a response? And I think, um, that's something I looked into a little bit, but didn't completely cause I was looking at more, um, completely different colors than the saturation or hues in that perspective of it. Um, but that is something else just in this entire conversation. Um, you know, what about monochromatic scales, you know, how does that, um, does that bring anything else to the table? Is that something that we can use to our advantage when representing these products?
1: Are we using monochromatic scales in anywhere in, in meteorology that you guys know of? I can't think of anything off the top of my head. No.
2: The only thing I've seen it per se in is um, some of the research looking at um, facets in different things, um, like mm. probabilistic approaches. I've seen the monochromatic for that. Um, and there is, um, there is actually a study that I looked at when I was doing my literature review that was looking at tor- probabilistic tornado warnings. Um, and they, a lot of the participants responded highly to the monochromatic scale versus, um, different colors. So like a lighter um, color
1: for a lighter probability and a darker, more saturated color for a higher probability of being impacted. I think
2: so. honestly, it's been a minute since no. I read no, no, it, no, but, no, yeah, um, no, they did, they did look at it and how, um. I, honestly, I want to say it was backward. Like, I want to say that lighter, um, higher color was closer. Um, and then it kind of, like, faded as it went out. Um, it was Ooh. the way that they went about it. Yeah, I'll have to find that. Um, but that's just something. I don't think it's being used in practice, per se, right now. But, you know, how much of that could potentially be used in the future? I mean, if people want to keep different colors for different products, we could have one be... Right. A certain color, but be a different variation of the color, you know, a light red versus a dark red. Um, But then that goes back to the whole if we're going to go about this, it's changing things, and we probably need to have some type of educational efforts with that.
0: And more social science.
2: Yes. A lot more social (laughs) science. (laughs) Yeah, there's
0: just about to
1: incorporate a lot of different worlds, and that's something that, Mm -hmm. you know, Castle and I, and Caroline, you as well, we start to understand and realize in having that social science background and think, there's so many different people that have to come into play when it, when we make these big decisions. I'm thinking from an accessibility standpoint too. What color yep. scales and, and monochromatic or, um, you know, multichromatic? That's totally the wrong word. Um, <laughs> but if we use, you know, different colors, is it accessible to everybody? Can everyone easily exactly. see it? Um, and these are things that we really need to think about from the beginning and not really make that an afterthought once we've kind of developed things and gone along the way. So I'm super glad that you're doing this research and more and more people are looking into this and acknowledging that it's a whole community effort to to really bring about a good, positive, but well-thought-out change.
0: Uh, speaking of facets, um, I also think that this result about the uh, the filling in being more impactful is a good positive vibe for fee like the mm-hmm. probabilistic hazard information yeah. um the fee plumes and stuff because those yeah. are more filled in um mm-hmm. so i think that is also a positive re- result for that um but i agree men about the accessibility um i think uh, the one thing that i really took away from the ams the ams conference this year was making sure we're constantly asking the question who's not at the table right now yep. um, and can Constantly thinking about, like, what research perspective do we have? What accessibility constraint are we not thinking about? Um, constantly pushing ourselves to get better and better about making sure people that aren't at the table actually get a spot and uh, get to have their voice heard. Um, no, so I, I,
2: com- I completely agree with that. I know that's something, um, whenever I started looking at, at the um, just beginning this whole color sequence. I tried to go back and see, you know, um, the weather watch and advisory map that we use now. Like, why? how did that come to be? Why did we use that? And I don't know if you guys <laughs> oh, have boy. ever found anything, but I, <laughs> I didn't. I am about
0: to say, that's really <laughs> far right? so good luck. <laughs>
2: well, exactly. And that's kind of the thing is I'm thankful now, like going forward, we've realized, you know, what we're doing now probably isn't the best practice, but instead of instilling something that might fail or not do as good of a job as it needs to in a few years, Um, we're bringing all these different people to the table and trying to identify, you know, um, like you guys said earlier, a graphic person. I mean, I didn't take any classes in graphic design. I can't speak to colors completely that way. Um, I can somewhat speak to how people respond to a color, um, but actually having a visual graphical approach to it, that's not my specialty. Um, and I think if we're ever going to tackle this, there does need to be a bunch of different people at the table. There do need to be these people who bring these different specialties, um, Bringing the meteorology aspect, Um, that was part of the reason I got a meteorology degree was, yes, I wanted to communicate with people, but at the same time, I wanted to be able to understand the science behind it. And I think there is a certain aspect of both the social science, a physical science, um, but then also just every different realm of science does need to be at this conversation so that whatever product we come to and whatever we end up putting out in the future is something that can stick and something that can ultimately save people's lives.
0: Um, I think before we move to talk about consistency and the stuff that you asked about that, um, a quick follow-up question. I saw on your poster that you had a follow-up question in the second survey where you asked participants if they felt like they associated a certain color with a particular hazard. Yes. Do you have information on that that you could share? It sounds So,
2: yes. So, the, so, actually, I'll just go ahead and. It kind of might segue into the next topic anyway, but I had two follow-up questions in each survey um, trying to answer a different question. Um, The first survey I asked just flat out, should colors be represented um, consistently across the U.S.? You know, if you're in New York versus the Deep South versus somewhere else and you have a product, should they be used uh, consistently? Um, whereas the second survey, it was more targeted trying to get at that idea of if I were to say tornado warning, does a certain color image come to your head right now? Or if I said flash flood warning, I know I feel like I have a predisposition to that, but does the general public feel that way? Right, right. Um, for the first survey, um, we did find people agreed with the idea. Um, we, that mean was um, statistically significant in that agree to strongly agree category. Um, I think 95% of my participants either said agree or strongly agree. So people seem to want consistency. Um, It was a very base level question. Um, I didn't pry too much into it, but um, it was interesting to see that. The second survey, the results from that were not as significant. Um, It kind of fell more into that neither agree, disagree category to a little bit on the edge of agree. Um, And that's something, you know, maybe need to look into further of how much Mm -hmm. do people, I will say, looking back at the question, it could have been interpreted um, confusingly to people. And so if we (laughs) reword, yeah, so if we reworded it, I would be interested to see um, if that changed anything, but that one did not have as significant results as the first survey did.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I would be also be interested in knowing what color they actually associate with each hazard. So maybe, yeah. like, randomizing it and having them, like, you know, you used to do, like, in, in elementary school, you get to draw the line to match up mm-hmm. which hazard goes with which color. <laughs> um, I think well, that and that's really the cool. thing is there's
2: no standard at this point. I know oh. um, whenever I gave my thesis defense, I used a event that actually happened to be two days prior with tornado watches. And just in my area, a tornado watch, there's channels with purple entities with red, blue, yellow, pink. Um, I think there's a green one. I mean, they're all, it's different things. So, I mean, is that something that's, you know, is a person seeing that um as a different type of tornado watch you know oh i have a green tornado watch like do they perceive it like that or do they just see oh tornado watch and think the same thing
0: right yeah oh so interesting <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think if you reworded it and just got rid of like based on risk so like yeah you feel that you associate a certain color with a particular weather hazard that would mm-hmm. be like perfect Yeah. Um, but yeah so if anyone's out there listening we should definitely do that. It sounds yep, super please. cool. And, <laughs> and I think it has incredible implications for uh, policy, for the way that we present things, because I know that a lot of people in the weather enterprise are really interested in this idea of the monochromatic scales and mm-hmm. ha- making sure or, or assigning one color to each hazard. Um, so I think that that research will be kind of really important as we move forward into that era of thinking about new and exciting ways of using color and making and using color in a very uh, specific way. Um, So I think that'll all be really important. So we kind of talked about accessibility a little bit. And so I was curious um, whether you asked participants whether they were colorblind or not.
2: I Um, did.
0: Okay. Right. I
2: did. However, um, especially for that first survey, since them being able to identify the color was the purpose of it, I did not use those responses. Okay. Um,
0: I make it yeah. makes sense, but it would I be did interesting not, to go back and look
2: Yeah. what no, they that said. Well, and that is something, yeah, no, um, that would be something to look at just because uh, I didn't ask what specific, I just had an overlay of do you have color blindness? I didn't ask them what type of colorblindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be interesting to see if different types of colorblindness, um, to be able to pair that with what colors would they have seen as the same and what colors they would have seen as different. Right. Um, no, that is a good point, but no, just when we were designing the survey and just trying to get that baseline, um, we just didn't want there to be any type of uh, potential skew if people answering sure. it that might just see it all the same so and that's and that is something um moving forward is yes, I did not specifically address that, but that is something whatever we do choose to adopt we do need to bring those type of, those people to the table and mm-hmm. try to see you know whatever we're putting forth um can they identify that and I would say. Um, it would be interesting, you know, now that you bring that up, I would really, it would be interesting to go look at the fill versus the outline because that wouldn't be influenced by the color. Um, mm, the color true. potentially could be all this be the same. So, um, it would be interesting if I still have all the data and so I could go look at that, but it would be interesting to see if that fill to contour, um, is represented by those with color blindness, because if that's the case, then that could be a potential, um, bridge and how we're communicating things um if that's a visual cue to people that a filled in has more risk then um that's something that we could use to our advantage
0: yeah yeah because i also ran into this doing my survey or my experiment too because it was like the day before i was going to launch and i was like holy crap i gotta ask people if they're colorblind or not mm-hmm. um because when we are n- actually manipulating color like that's super important yeah <laughs> Um, so the only other question that I have is the one that I often think about and, uh, I don't want to say I'm concerned about, but it's always in the back of my mind. I'm always constantly thinking about it as I continue to push for consistency in the weather enterprise. And I often get this question when I talk about it, um, in kind of public settings or at conferences is that by moving to a more uniform color scale as kind of the question in your survey emphasize that members of the public may want this Mm -hmm. does that lead to a one-size-fits-all category that then may not actually work for all people
2: i hear what you're saying i that was something i was thinking about whenever um I went in and was doing this. And yeah. I think the thing that sometimes gets left out of these is um, I think I've, I've mentioned it a few times, but I think that's where we have an opportunity for um, more education efforts um, <laughs> within the field and doing that. Um, I will say something I didn't say with the second survey. Um, we focus more on the hazard product type because we didn't want um, people's conceptions of watches and warnings to completely, um, potentially overwhelm the data in that um, there is uh, data that show or people have results that show that watches and warnings people don't identify properly a lot of times. Um, And so actually in that survey, part of the survey design was before we gave them any questions, we just told them what a watch and warning was. Like we gave them a formal definition Um, and that was seen in the results in that all of our warning categories were higher than the watch categories. Um, And so I think that kind of just highlights that if we um, try to have some type of educational effort with whatever we decide to use, um, I think that would really help people. Um, And that's kind of where we need to if we do move forward with this, then we would all need to be on the same page, because if one person um, is looking for one uh, looking at one outlet versus another, Um, and one outlet's telling them, oh, these are the colors we use and this is what it means, but then a different outlet is like, well, no, it's this, Um, that could cause some confusion to people. And so I think if we are on the same page, if we're able to educate people, then we might be able to um, cross over that boundary of hopefully not alienating, alienating any populations that wouldn't be able to understand it.
0: That totally makes sense. And I guess the... What what comes next is, how do we get the entire weather enterprise on board with doing this?
2: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually asked this at AMS. Um, okay, and it's See something. Yes, I, I, I remember <laughs> sitting there going, um, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it, do I think one day will every single entity will do the same things? Unfortunately, probably not. But I do think there are some things that we can do better um, and some places that we can do better. And I do think hazardous weather products and the colors is somewhere we can. Um, I know an example of this before I even began researching this, um, I was at an NWA conference and I was at a RON meeting and there was a broadcast meteorologist who was from St. Louis and they actually brought up the idea of color and all of their uh, broadcasters got together and said, okay, we're tired of representing all of this by different colors. Mm, It could be confusing. They came together as a city and um, said, no, we're going to use the National Weather Service's colors. And they do. And I know of several um, markets that do that. But then I know um, I have several friends who are broadcasters now who have gone to um, those higher positions of authority and have been told no. And so I think that's kind of where we might, I kind of wanted to do this research in that it gives people um, evidence of this, Um, just that color seems to be something that people respond to differently, and it could potentially be causing confusion. And so I think that's just kind of where it kind of goes back to, we need to have everybody at the table and be, what is our end goal? If we're doing this because we're wanting to save lives and get a message across, then there is a certain aspect of coming together and doing this, even if it's you're going to look the same as everybody else. But at the de- end of the day, if we're trying to get a similar message across, then this may be something we need to be doing.
1: It's so frustrating to hear that because, you know, part of the broadcast side, it's not just about getting the information out, but there's at the end of the day, profits and um, advertising and things like that and <clears throat> ratings as well. And then also on top of that, yeah. It makes it hard.
2: Look, no, you could, yeah. <laughs> no, I just, that's, I've heard that from um, some of my colleagues and peers um, who have asked about color stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're looking at this because I've gone to somebody and tried to tell them about this and I want to use the NWS colors, but they've told me no because of ratings and we have to do it differently. Um, and so I hope that at some point we could probably cross that. And it does seem like there are a lot of broadcasters out there who do see this as a problem and have kind of gotten together already and changed the way things are. And I think um, if, we, if research continues coming, coming out that shows that this is a problem, um, I think it kind of forces people who may be reluctant to doing this, um, forces might force them into doing this or being, being more open to this discussion.
1: I mean, kudos to the St. Louis broadcast meteorologists and TV stations for agreeing to that and implementing it. And I I guess it kind of serves as a nice model for other cities and other uh, TV stations and TV station owners in different markets to say, OK, if St. Louis can do it, why can't we do it in Oklahoma City? Because we know how crazy yeah. Oklahoma City graphics can be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it you know, if they can do it, I wonder what all the complexities went into everybody agreeing to do the colors. And if they just had mm-hmm. um, station owners or TV direct news directors that were very supportive of that, if that was all mm-hmm. it was, or if they had to take it to a higher even higher level past the stations. But um, if they can do it and they work with the weather service office there in St. Louis too, it'd be great to see that idea spread throughout the country too. And I'm glad that they presented that so that other broadcasters could have that perspective to see how they can make that change in their city.
2: Mm -hmm. I will also point out, um, I've had people uh, tell me that I'm just going after broadcasters. I will say it is not a broadcast issue only. Mm -hmm. um, If you look at the National Weather Service, they're better about it than a lot of places. But at the same time, um, if you look at a severe thunderstorm watch, it's different colors in different locations Uh, through the Storm Prediction Center versus the WFO offices. And sometimes what pops up on Twitter, it is different. Um, and so that's it's not just one entity here it's everybody has their uh, foot in this um, so
0: no I agree with you with what you said and that's usually the uh, explanation that I give to <laughs> is uh, we have to and this is the way that I approach it and that's why I feel like my dissertation is so application focused is that we have to create so much uh, like a mountain of evidence in order to just like throw it down from the front of them and just be like this is what I found this is what is showing xyz yeah it's it's just like I think we need to work towards that because of the evidence that I have here xyz but when you were speaking um, I'm constantly trying to think of what evidence I need to provide to these entities Mm -hmm. Um, and when you both kind of had your dialogue about um, it's for ratings and it helps us keep our ratings. I wonder if that's the evidence they need is that changing the color to match NWS doesn't affect the ratings. Um, so that that just gave me a, an, an interesting insight. Um, to think about further about how we would measure that and think through that uh, problem. Um, I also think the St. Louis thing is a really great idea and I almost wish they would do like some sort of write up about it or like a workshop or, you know, something about how they went through that process and
2: Yeah, it was a very brief conversation. Um, yeah. It was actually at a RON meeting, uh, the Researched Operation Nexus meeting. I was there trying to get ideas about my thesis, and one of the it was a social science table, and there was a broadcaster, and he brought up color and what they had been doing. Um, so, yeah, that would definitely be something to look into um, further of how they went about that.
0: Yeah. And just I think just uh, having some sort of documentation on the process, the hoops they had to go through, like all of the, the struggles and challenges, but like how they ended up being able to do it and maybe some best practices as well. I think that would be really beneficial. Well, I, that's all the questions that I have. Min, do you have any questions? No, I think this was such a great
1: conversation and in and it reminds me how much i love talking about this kind of stuff and um you know it's so cool to see that you also studied psychology and and meteorology like castle did um Mm -hmm. and to see the value in that so kudos to you guys that's awesome
2: i had a i i can't say i did this by myself i actually had a professor when i came to visit uh, mississippi state for undergrad who was just talking about career opportunities and talked about social science um mind you this was eight years ago now and I didn't know it existed when he brought it up, but I was getting ready to take a psychology course at high school, and I knew I didn't want to be a broadcaster, but I loved the communication aspect. Um, and so I definitely think, I'm thankful that there's other people out there that do the psychology-meteorology uh, mix, because I do think um, they go hand-in-hand really well.
0: Uh, can we ask what's next? What are you going to do next? Yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, right now it's still a little bit TBD. Um, I have been working as a pathways meteorologist for the National Weather Service for the past few years. Um, so depending on how things, um, go over the next few months, um, I'm planning to transition into a full-time position. Um, so still nothing, um, official or completely nailed down at this point. Um, but that is my plan next steps. But, I really do enjoy research and doing things. And I hope no matter if it's a career with the National Weather Service or um, any type of other entity, I do want to continue doing research um, and working with people on this subject.
0: Awesome. That's exciting. You're going to be a bright star. So we're going to continue to follow you. (laughs) Heck yeah. I guess other than that, I don't have anything else. Uh, I guess. um, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, As Min said, I think this was fantastic. It's one of my. It's it's like a a branch of one of my loves. So I could talk for hours about it. Um, And I'm really excited that other people are doing it besides me um so that we can continue again to build that body of evidence for the I weather enterprise agree. and when you guys all yeah,
1: figure guys everything guys out so <laughs> when you figure everything out then i'll put it when into practice everything
2: out
0: <laughs> yeah we'll practitioner all the
2: papers. <laughs> yeah there you go you go to
0: bat for us yeah exactly got you <laughs>
1: Thanks for listening to our episode of Weather Hype today. You can find us at
0: facebook.com slash weatherhype and weatherhypepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words, weather and hype, or send us a lovely email at weatherhype at gmail.com.
1: We love it when you leave reviews, so feel free to rate us and let us know how we're doing on iTunes and other places where you listen to the podcast.
0: Also make sure to check out the other podcasts that are participating in National Weather Podcast Month, which is Carolina Weather Group, Stormfront Freaks, B Squared Podcast, and Weather Brains. So until next time, until next time, stay hyped.